because of your generosity. Now, Pastor Mike, now listen. He had no idea I was doing this, so he's going to be surprised for a minute. As you may or may not know, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. That's, that's a hallmark. Now, man. hang on a minute. Hang on. Now, we know you're thing. from Durham and you're a P major, but we know you're not big on pomp and circumstance. But Scripture is very clear. We should outdo one another and show an honor. We should show appreciation where appreciation is due. Your wife is here this evening, and so we're going to have her come up here for a moment. I know how I uncomfortable. the reason she was here on, <laughs> on Saturday. Mike and Laura, you guys, uh, you guys moved here some 25 years ago, um, being obedient and faithful to God's call on your life. And uh, you look around this room and across all of our campuses this weekend, and every man, woman, and child that's here has been impacted by your faithfulness. We just heard about it all over the globe. It doesn't even start here. It's a vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world. And uh, that's not easy. And you sit up here on, literally on a platform and you, you say hard things to all of us that we need to hear. And uh, people twist those things sometimes. And I know you get emails because you forward them to me and make me respond to them, <laughs> which is okay. So I, I appreciate that. But Mike, if we could go around all of our campuses, you would hear story after story after story that we don't have time for, Laura. Um, I, I can tell you personally, if it weren't for you guys, I, I know my family, my mom, my stepdad, my wife, my kids, uh, my kids, who knows my kids, 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 lives are forever impacted as a result of what you guys have done. And so on behalf of the elders, our staff, um, our congregation, we got you a little gift here, all right? You've always wanted an envelope, and so with what's in here, uh, the two of you will be able to get away for a little while and know that there's a church that loves you guys and appreciates you. And um, so on behalf of all of us across all of our campuses. Yeah, we're not doing that again. <laughs> now I got to cut stuff out of my message. <clears throat> well, for the last few weeks, we have been in this series we're calling Your Choice, Your Voice. Uh, we're talking about our words, how they impact our lives and our relationships. By now, you know, you probably can quote the verse by heart. It's found in Proverbs 18, verse 21, the verse that we're basing the series on. The tongue has the power of life and death, and I felt a little guilty because over the last few weeks, the first part of this series, we've really been focusing on the negative words that bring death into our lives, that bring death into our relationships. But starting this weekend, we're gonna switch gears a little bit, we're gonna begin to turn the corner, and we're gonna begin to talk about some words that actually bring life into our lives, into our relationships. In fact, they can even bring life into our world. In fact, over the next few weeks, we're gonna look at some words that if we would actually incorporate these words into our life, if they defined our lives, not only would it tra transform our lives, not only would it transform our relationships, as you're gonna see this weekend, it has the power to transform the world. This weekend, we're looking at maybe the three most powerful words in our vocabulary. What do you think they are? I love you, right? And when you think about it, these words are so powerful that just saying I love you to someone, it's a pretty high risk, isn't it? For example, I remember back when Laura and I were dating 
and you can tell how beautiful she is, right? But I knew pretty quick on there was something special, right? First of all, she had all her teeth, right? She didn't spit when we walked around campus, you know? She chewed with her mouth closed, nothing like any of the girls I had ever dated before. And it wasn't long, I just realized, I mean, she's going to be the one, and I knew that at some point, I was gonna be sharing with her these three powerful words. But again, when you get to that point in a relationship, you don't wanna just blurt those words out. I mean, it's kind of risky, right? And so I started out by kind of, kind of testing uh, the water, and I think one time I said something, you know, I think about you all the time. And I think she responded, I think about you every once in a while. And I'm like, okay, I'll go with that. I can go with that, right? And there was another time I said, I don't know how, I don't know if you realize how special you are to me. And so I'm waiting for a response. And she said, thank you. Didn't go as well as I had planned, right? But see, in my mind, I'm building up to that moment and I'm fearful for a couple of reasons. First of all, I knew that she could reject what I said. I mean, I could say, I love you, and she could laugh hysterically. That would be weird, right? Or she could start crying and run into her dorm. But I also knew that when I said it, now I'm going to have to start living it. Now I'm going to have to back it up. So finally, uh, one evening, I can still remember. I can still, 40-some years later, I can remember what she was wearing. I was walking her back to the dorm. The planets were all aligned. The stars were out. I looked down at my bell-bottom pants and platform shoes. It was the 70s. And I turned to her and said, with all the courage I could muster, I think I love you. <laughs> Gotta have an out. You know, just in case she does. I, I'm just kidding, I didn't really mean it. Right, right. I said, I think I love you. And it seemed like an eternity passed, but she looked back at me and she said, you know what, I love you too. And in that instant, our relationship moved to another level. Everything was redefined. Why is that? Because there's something magical. There's something supernatural. There's something powerful about the words, I love you. But there's something even more supernatural and pow powerful when you live out the words, I love you. But if we're going to talk about the power of love this weekend, it's probably important that we understand what the word means. We've all heard the definition of love. Love is a feeling that you feel that you've never felt before. It's a stupid definition. That could be a lot of things. A lot of things I've never felt before. I've never had a heart attack before. I don't know what that feels like. Never felt a gunshot before. Never been stabbed before. So I would hate to mistake any of those first time experiences for love. So let me just give you a definition of love. By the way, there are six words for love in the ancient Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. Three of that we're very familiar with because of our Bibles. The first one is eros and it means sexual passion. It's the bachelor, bachelorette kind of love. Like, I will tell you, I love you if you'll have sex with me. That kind of love, that's not the love. I know you're disappointed. We're not talking about that this weekend. And then there's philos. It means brotherly love, fond affection. Uh, it, it, it has this idea of, uh, of like when Peter couldn't say that he had an agape, the highest form of love for Jesus, he said, I phileo you, I, I have a fond affection for you. Philos, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, probably not the right name for that city, but you get the idea. And then there's agape, which is the highest form of love. That's what we're gonna talk about this weekend. In fact, agape love, let me give you a definition, means seeking the highest good of the other person. And I think probably the best definition that I have ever come across of this kind of love is found in the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter two, verse three, he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Verse four, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the other. And that's a great definition because you gotta understand, at the end of the day, that's what agape love, it's all about. It's regarding another's pers another person's interest above your own interest. It's seeking the highest good of that individual. 
Now, when you think about agape love, it's not an emotional love, although it will always involve the emotions, but the source of this kind of love is the mind. In other words, when you love this way with an agape love, you make a conscious decision. I'm going to seek the highest good of that person. I'm gonna put their needs above my needs, but to do that is going to require that you think more about that person than you do yourself. And that's where it gets tough. I mean, it sounds great in theory, putting someone's needs above your needs, putting their interest above your interest, but how do you actually love this way? Here's an even better question. Can you really love this way? Well, if you have your Bibles this weekend, I would encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. It really helps us. Uh, you've heard these verses if you've ever been to a wedding, but it is the greatest essay that has ever been written on the topic of love. And we need to understand what it means because we can talk about the definition all day long. We can talk about the what all day long. But see, if you're like me, I need to know how. If I'm gonna love these, this way, I need to know what are the risks, what are the specific details of how to pull it off? What does it really look like in my life? What does it look like in a relationship? So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm learning four truths about agape love that I wanna share with you this weekend. The first one, Paul begins in 1 Corinthians 13 by telling us that if you're a Christian, and again, if you're not a Christian this weekend, you really should be. You should respond to the gospel. It will change your life now. It will change your life for all eternity. But Paul is writing this to believers. And he says to believers, agape love is an optional. It's not an option for us to love this way or not love this way. You can't just take it or leave it. And by the way, the minute I said I was gonna talk about the words I love you this weekend, some of you thought I could check out because I got this. See, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I don't hate anybody. But see, every one of us knows that hate isn't the opposite of love. What's the opposite of love? It's apathy. It's apathy. You remember when we were kids and we wanted to kind of free someone out of our group, free someone out of our clique? We didn't argue with them. We didn't fight them. We didn't drink the haterade. We knew that if we just ignored them long enough, they'd go away. And guess what? They always did. In the same way, I'm telling you, when we treat individuals with apathy, when we treat individuals with indifference, like it or not, we are making an announcement to that person. We are declaring to that individual, I don't really love you. I don't have room in my life for you. I don't have space in my life for you. So as we think about this topic, as we work through it this weekend, don't think in terms of who do I hate. Think of this more like, who am I indifferent towards? Now, why is this important? Well, we're gonna see it's important because if you're a Christian, if you responded to the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ, this kind of love isn't an option. As a Christian, we don't have the luxury of being indifferent. I wanna show you how Paul says it. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me just point out some phrases. Verse one, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels. Drop down to verse two. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have a faith that can move mountains, Verse three, if I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardships that I may boast. And then Paul follows these conditional clauses with three identical statements, but do not have love, but do not have love, but do not have love. What is Paul doing? Paul is driving home a very simple and direct point. He's saying, man, I can do all kinds of stuff that would impress everybody around me. But Paul says, if I don't have love, look at that last phrase in verse three, I gain nothing. 
Say it out loud with me. I, it means nothing. It means zilch. It all means zero. In other words, we can knock ourselves out as Christians. We can come to church and lift our hands and worship. We can serve. We can get into a small group. We can sacrifice financially so that we can go on a mission trip. We can go through all the motions. We can do a lot of really good stuff. But Paul says, if love is not the driving, motivating factor behind what we do, it means absolutely nothing. So Paul begins by setting us up and letting us know the kind of love that he's getting ready to talk about is not optional for us. And then second, agape love never divides, it always unites. Let me tell you something, when I'm involved in a counseling situation and I discover or I hear that a relationship is shattered or when I come across a marriage that's fractured, I can always find an absence of this kind of agape love in one or both parts. In other words, it's no longer about regarding another person as more important than myself. Now it's about someone's needs that aren't being met. It's someone's expectation in the relationship that's not being met. And whereas love draws together, this absence of love, which is now in the relationship been replaced by self-centeredness, it drives the wedge that separates. It drives the wedge that divides the relationship. Let me give you a principle this weekend. It is impossible to be self-centered and at the same time put someone else's needs above your own. Can I say that again? It is impossible to be self-centered and at the same time put someone else's needs above your own. And, and let me just say something. I know you're not going to like this. You can trace all, and I mean all, everyone. You bring them to me, I'll trace them. You can trace all relational conflict back to the absence of agape love and the presence of selfishness. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, Mike, that's so easy for you to say but you don't know how I've been hurt. You don't know what that individual did to me. And you're right, I don't know. Unfortunately, we live in a world because of sin where sometimes some really, really bad stuff happens to some really, really good people. And when that happens, it's really easy to get angry. And it's really easy to hold a grudge. And it's really easy to build a wall. And it's really easy just to write someone off. I know that, but see, I also know that according to verse five, the kind of love that we're talking about this weekend doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't hold on to the past. And this is gonna sting a little bit, but the kind of agape love that we're talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it doesn't allow you to remain a victim. Look what Paul says in verse five. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Here it is, it keeps no record of wrongs. Let me, let me read it to you from the Living Bible. Love is not irritable or touchy, I love that. It does not hold grudges, it will hardly notice when others do it wrong. But my favorite is verse five in the New American Standard. It does not, look here it is, take into account a wrong suffered. It's an accountant's term. In Paul's day it had to do with placing something into a ledger, putting it into a ledger for permanent record. But understand when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he's not referring to a business ledger, he's talking about the mind. And so what Paul is saying is this, someone who really loves this way doesn't place 
into the ledger of his or her permanent memory the wrongs done against them. You refuse to allow your mind to become a depository for unexpressed resentment. Now, in just a few weeks, and you would expect that in this series, we're gonna talk about the power of three different words. The words, I forgive you. But I say that and I wanna, I wanna hit on it this weekend because I know that many of you have been hurt and you have been hurt big time. For many of you, I've heard your story. For some, they are atrocious stories. In fact, these stories and what has happened to you, if you were honest, you would be one of the first ones to admit it has actually shaped the course and the direction of my life. And I think one of the biggest struggles that you will ever deal with in life is the struggle where there's no justice. In other words, someone does something to you and there's no justice for what they've done to you. Because when there's no justice, there just feels like there can't be closure. So I wanna say something, and, I, and again, I'm saying this with all the love and sensitivity that I, can, that I can possibly manage, and I understand I'm not in your shoes. But nobody can ever promise you justice in this life. But Jesus can promise you freedom from the past. I'm telling you, Jesus can promise you healing, but this is what's gonna have to happen. You're gonna have to, at some point, put your mind to work, let agape love kick in, and you have to decide to let it go. As Jesus said in the parable, in Luke, you've gotta to decide to make the conscious decision, they don't owe me, they don't owe me, they don't owe me, you have to make the mind decision to cancel the debt. Let us help you. Let us help you. We have so many ministries in place here. We have ministries like Living Free. We have ministries like Unhindered. We have so many Christian counselors, that are female and male, that we can refer you to in the community. Hey, if you can't afford it, we're gonna come alongside of you and help, but let us help you because agape love doesn't separate. It draws us together. See, agape love, it mends and it heals. Here's the third thing about agape love. It has to be demonstrated. You see, intentions don't really matter. You can't just talk about this kind of love, so you gotta do something about it. And this is important because, see, I know some of you, I know your personality, I know what you're thinking. Mike, I love, I'm just not the kind of person that expresses it. I just kinda keep it all bottled up inside. Let me just say this, if that describes you, you don't understand this kind of love. Let me just read you some verses. Look at how Paul describes this love in verse four of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. See, we have, a, we have an English term, short-tempered, or you got a quick fuse. This is actually the Greek words, you put this together, short, uh, patient, it means long-tempered. Literally, long before you get heated. So he says, love is patient. Love is kind. Do you know what it means? Free from petty criticism. You ever find yourself just nitpicking? You know, just doing that. I like to get up in the morning. I got a routine. That's just the way I am. You guys should pray for Laura every day. And sometimes it's weird. Laura actually gets up early. And Laura's amazing to me. I get up, I kind of get a coffee. I, I spend some time in prayer. I look at sermon notes maybe for the weekend. I read my Bible a little bit. But then I want to watch a little sports center, find out what's really going on in the world, you know. And sometimes by then, Laura will be up and I will sit down 
on the couch with my cup of coffee and Laura will get her computer, which makes no noise whatsoever. And Laura's amazing. She walks out of the bedroom, sits down and writes a book, you know, or writes devotionals for me or, or, or answers emails without doing it. And this is, all the, this is all the sound it makes. It's like nails on a chalkboard. And I remember one morning, I'm like, do, 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 do you have to do that while I'm, I'm watching Sports Center, honey. I'm having my quiet time right now, right now, yeah. But I'm growing. See, this series, because this morning she did it. I didn't say a word. See, I'm growing, I'm growing. It's free, free from petty criticism. Here's another one. Plus, she could hit me with that computer. I mean, I'm right there. Here's the same. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Verse six, love does not delight in, the ev in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always Perseveres. What do you read in those verses? Love is. Love is not. Love does. Love does not. In other words, when you love this way, you can't just keep it to yourself. You can't keep it inside. It has to be demonstrated. It has to be expressed. As a Christian, you have to act on it. In other words, if I'm going to love this way, the way God has commanded me to love, I can't just say the right things. See, as Christians, we can say the right things. I actually have to do something. It's interesting, when Jesus was on this earth, he was teaching what we now have in our Bible as the Beatitudes, and this is what he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. By the way, just so you know, when we have mercy, we have concern for people who are in a miserable condition. That's what mercy means. We have, we have mercy on people. We have concern for people who are in a miserable, we feel what they feel. We identify with what they're feeling and what they're going through. And it compels us to take action. For example, when I'm driving down the street and I'm at a stoplight and I see someone who is obviously homeless, obviously begging, that means as a Christian, I can't just say, well, I could give them money, but they're probably just going to buy alcohol or drugs. See, that's, they're Christians. We figure the loopholes out, and then we drive away. The we can't do that. To love the way Paul's talking about, you actually have to do something. I tell you, this all changed for me years ago. Uh, a church had invited Laura and I up to Chicago, and they had paid our way up. We flew up, and they put us in a nice hotel on Michigan Avenue, and, and it was September, and, and it was beautiful. It was fall in Chicago, and, and we got there early, so we got out. We were going to get some lunch, and Laura wanted to do a little shopping on Michigan Avenue. If you've ever been up there, it's an incredible place. And, and so we had a great, great lunch. And then I was about two and a half minutes into the shopping experience. And I thought this wasn't that much fun for me, but I saw a Ghirardelli's. And if you live in Chicago, you know where Ghirardelli's is right there. And I love Ghirardelli's hot fudge Sunday, the classic all-American hot fudge Sunday. So I told Laura, hey, honey, you shop to your heart's content. There were some outside tables. I'm gonna be sitting right over there. I'm gonna get me a Ghirardelli's double scoop, super duper hot fudge Sunday. So I went, I got my Sunday, and they, get, you know, they give you those little metal things with the number on top, and I came out and put it on my table. I hadn't sat down 30 seconds, and a woman who was obviously homeless came and sat about six feet from me. My guess is she was wearing everything she owned. Her shoes didn't match, her glasses were broken, one of the, one of the stems were gone, so they were sitting on her face crooked, and I just, I just was sitting there. And I was looking at her, and she was going through a bag, going through some things, and uh, she, as I was watching her, she looked up and made eye contact with me. 
And so I smiled, she smiled back. And I said, would you, would you, like, would you like something? She said, are you buying? I said, yes, I am. So she got up and we went in. And I gave her the menu. If you've ever been to Ghirardelli's, it's these big menus. She found like the cheapest thing she could find, like one scoop of ice cream. And she said, I'll have that. I said, is that what you really want? And she said, what do you have? And I'm like, man, I am having the classic double, triple dip, you know, hot fudge classic Sunday, right? And she said, well, I'll have one of those. And so she orders it. And this is the funniest thing. I'll never forget that. She said, hold the whipped cream. And I said, you don't like whipped cream? She said, calories. I'm like, so you never think, right? Right? You ever think a homeless person is counting calories, right? So she gets her number and she goes back out and sits at her table. I go back out and sit at my table. We're waiting for a hot fudge Sunday. And I'm like, this is weird. So I said, can I come sit with you? And she said, sure. So I took my number over and I sat with her and it wasn't a few seconds after that they came with our hot flesh Sundays. I'll never forget, she, she took a napkin, she placed it in her lap just properly and I asked her her name, Vivian, Vivian. And we got to talking and she told me her story, just like you would expect, dysfunctional home, became a, a part of the, of the foster home system, molested, abused, raped, turned to drugs, alcohol, ended up homeless. Somewhere from Iowa, she says, I doubt anyone even knows whether or not I'm alive. And I didn't really have any answers. And thankfully, Laura, about that time, came around the corner and, and it kind of ended, you know, my date with Vivian. And um, we headed away. But that night when I was in my hotel that I'm sure they paid four to $500 a night to put us up, I could not help but think to myself, where is Vivian sleeping tonight? Now let me tell you something. No homeless person had ever interfered with my sleep before. But I could not for the life of me. That lady with those clothes, wrong shoes, broken glasses. Because, see, I made the mistake. You know what I made the mistake? You know what the mistake was? I learned her name. See, she was no longer just a homeless person. See, now she's a person with a name, right? She's a person created in the image of God. And you know what, what I think about? When I came back and I shared that story years ago with our congregation, and there was a young lady in our church, and we didn't need a ministry, we didn't have a program, and it didn't take staff, just a young single lady. She went out and started buying sleeping bags and blankets and sweatshirts and socks. And she started looking for the homeless in our community just by herself. In fact, it worried me. I'm like, are you, is this safe? She was going out in the woods and giving them sleeping bags and blankets and sweatshirts and socks and sitting down and getting to know them. And then one time she asked me, hey, could we all do this? Winter's coming. And so we kind of said, hey, everybody just put some stuff in your car and go out. And if you see a homeless, hey, sit down, ask them their name, give them those things, ask them if there's, see, there's a lot of homeless people that live right behind the Raleigh campus, right? So we started doing that. Guess what happened? The homeless started attending Hope Community Church. And they would come and hang out with us during the week and they would shower upstairs in our facilities. Sometimes they would wash their clothes, but they came and they were a part of Hope Community Church. One particular man, his name was Roger. In fact, I took him home on Christmas Eve. He spent Christmas Eve with our family. It wasn't long after that, he died. He got hit by a car while he was panhandling. 
and it devastated us. We couldn't find any record of family, nowhere, the police couldn't. So finally we asked the police, could we take charge? And I told our congregation that Sunday morning, I said, at one o'clock today, we're having a funeral for Roger. We didn't even know his last name. And I said, I think it would be great if some of you came and we honored him. To my knowledge, it's still the largest funeral we've ever had in the history of Hope Community Church. We used to be that kind of church. I don't think you'll find a homeless person at any of our campuses this weekend, right? But deep down inside, don't, don't you want to be that kind of church? I mean, why does it take a hurricane before we show generosity, mercy, you know, or love? Why aren't we throwing some blankets and sleeping bags and sweatshirts and socks in our trunk just in case we come across someone who actually needs it. This is what 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love, that word's agape, by the way, the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not agape with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It's not limited just to Christmas. It's not limited to times of disaster. Did you know Americans could end what has been referred to as stupid poverty? By the way, this isn't the government's job. These are marching orders that Christ gave the church. See, I'm talking about just basic food and water. Just basic food and water. Did you know that Americans will spend 16 billion, billion dollars on bottled water this year? When we have perfectly good water to drink, and if you don't think you do, you need to go to another country. See, $16 billion. You know, we used to drill wells. We drilled a lot of wells in the Central African Republic. So I went back and I did a little bit of math. $16 billion would allow us to drill enough wells in third world countries to take care of 2 billion people. Just bottled water for one year. Did you know that this year we'll spend $5 billion downloading ringtones for our phones? I mean, heaven forbid we have to survive with the 50 that come with the phone. Right? That's, you can't expect us to live like that. Five billion dollars. This year, Americans will spend $58 billion going to sporting events, $33 billion buying exercise equipment that we will never use, $20 billion eating ice cream. By the way, which is enough money to feed every person in every third world country for an entire year. Just what we eat on ice cream. See, and I told you like last week, this message, right? This is what I think Jesus is saying. You didn't get that from me. And I'm not saying we should live in poverty. There were some big hitters. There were some heavy hitters. There were some wealthy people in the Bible. That's not the problem. I love living in a home that's warm and comfortable. I like driving around a car that's gonna get me where I wanna go. I'm just saying, when we have so many needs around us, seriously, people, Shouldn't we be doing more? I mean, couldn't we be doing more? Shouldn't we be more willing to demonstrate the love we claim to possess? It's got to be demonstrated. And let's just be honest. It's not like we can't afford it. I mean, here's my challenge to us as a church. I want us to get back to being the church that we used to be. I want us to get back to being Hope Community Church. If not, let's just change our name to church as usual. Community church, right? But it's got to be demonstrated. Here's the fourth insight. 
Agape love is a long-term investment. I came across this description of love, and I tell you, if you're, if you're newly married, if you're young, because I'm so sick of young couples, I don't love them anymore. I don't know if I'm happy with them anymore. I'm telling you, Hallmark movies, Lifetime movies, stupid shows like The Bachelor and Bachelorette, they have so distorted our idea of what love is. It's like, if you feel like I'm not having foo-foo feelings, then it's okay to get a divorce and blow up a family. This, this is the best definition I've ever come across of love. Love is what you've been through with somebody. It's what you've been through with somebody. It's a long-term investment. It's not about romance. It's not about feelings. It's not about happiness. Do you know psychologists have determined that 94% of romance and infatuation is gone out of every marriage within the first two years? This is when you find out what you really got. And this kind of love has guts. This kind of love has roots and stuffs, substance. This kind, of, this kind of love has staying power. It reaches so tightly around the other person in the relationship that you can't break that grip if you wanted to. It's a long-term investment. Now, what do we do with this kind of stuff? You know? Well, here's the first response, and it would be a wrong one. From this moment on, I'm going to love everybody this way. Okay, good. I'll give, you, I'll give you until you get stuck in traffic trying to get out of the parking lot. Or if you're really good until you get to work on Monday. But it won't last long because I promise you this. In your own strength, you can't do it. You cannot manhandle this kind of love. So that's not the answer. Here's the second response. I've tried it, and I failed, so it isn't worth the effort or risk. Well, that creates a problem because Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome, and this is what he said in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, be, be devoted, that's a strong word, be devoted to one another in love. You know what that means? It's disobedience if we're not. Here's the third response. I want to love this way, but I can't. So God, I am willing to work in this area, and I am willing to change in this area, but you're gonna to have to do it through me. And when you give God this kind of freedom and that kind of ammunition, I'm telling you, he'll go to work. I wish I could tell you the number of people over the last 37 years that me and Laura have counseled, married couples, you would not believe what they've gone through. Infidelity that this lasted 12 years, weird stuff, disgusting stuff, and they're still together. And I know it takes two. It always takes two. It takes two. If one doesn't want to work, there's nothing you can do about it. But you got two people. I, and I've, I've asked them, how do you do it? I pull them off to the side. How do you do it? And there was a guy one time that found out his wife was running a call girl service. And then that was her. How do you do it? God loves her through me. God, I don't know, loves him through me, right? I really believe that if we will begin to act in agape love toward other people, regardless of our emotions, regardless for some of us how awkward it's going to feel at first, we will discover that our actions will begin to change how we feel. Right? Our care pastor, Donnie Dar, and I probably won't get it exactly right, but this is basically what he says. Do the right things. The feelings, the blessings will catch up. You just do the right thing. I mean, is there somebody in your life, maybe at home, maybe at work, maybe a neighbor that's a little strange? 
Would you even consider showing them a little agape love, putting their needs above your needs? You know what you may discover just by doing that, that your disapproval of them will magically turn into acceptance? Is there somebody in your life who irritates you? I mean, they just grate on you. Show them a little agape. You may discover that your frustration will grow into patience. Is there someone in need around you and you have the resources to meet that need? Do you know what God does to me now? If somebody tells me they have a need and I start to pray for that need, it's like God is like, I'm not even listening because you can meet that need. You know what, be honest with you, we are the answer to most people's prayers. We are the answer to most people's prayer. I feel guilty, and Laura will tell you, if I got cash and I drive by a homeless person, I don't care. I don't care if they're like holding something in front of their leg that makes it look like they only have one leg. I don't care. I'm like, if you're on a corner and this is where you are in life, my window's gonna go down. I'm gonna give them some money. I don't care what it is. If I, all I got is a 20, they, it may be a good day for them, but they're gonna get a 20. Because I've gotten to the point like, hey, I used to pray for somebody. If you have the resources that you can actually help somebody. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. It's not easy. In fact, for you, to, for you to love some of the people that have hurt you. I'm not saying you gotta get back in that relationship and I'm not saying you don't need boundaries and all of those safe things in your life. I'm not talking about that. But I'm telling you this, to cancel the debt, to say you don't owe me, to forgive somebody who sinned against you, say that takes courage. It takes courage to act better than you feel. It takes courage to give more than you receive. And if about now you're wondering, where have I seen this kind of courage before? Well, you saw it in Jesus, you know? It's called cross courage. It's called Gethsemane grit, right? It's like, okay, Father, I wish there were another way, but since there's not, I am gonna put the needs of the whole world ahead of my desires. And because Jesus built his, love on that, his life on that kind of love, see, we who were nothing, we're now sons and daughters of God. That's the power of this kind of love. People all around you this weekend, all around our world, I promise you, in your home, are just waiting for a similar love to transfer their lives in a similar way. And right now, some of you are thinking, oh, I'm gonna do this, but now you're thinking about what if, what if, what if, what if I forgive them? What if this happens? What if I love them? What if I put their needs and they, they take advantage of me? This is what C.S. Lewis says. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, soft, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. And then he makes this statement. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. You know what he's saying? It's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. Let's be those kind of people in our relationships, in our church, in our world. Let's just say, God, we're gonna do it. You're gonna do it through us.
and we're going to trust you to see what happens. See, that's how you reach the triangle. That's how you change the world. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that you so loved the world. You so loved Mike Lee that you gave. You put us first. You put our needs before your needs. And Father, we sit here, many of us this weekend at our campuses as sons and daughters of God because of that kind of love. That's the kind of love that moves the world. Not some cheesy romance song. Not something we are the world. We are. This, is, this is biblical agape love. And when we start living it and demonstrating it, it changes our lives. It changes our relationships. It changes our world. May it start here. May it start here. And we give you the credit, the glory. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download our app to find ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. 